0: We filed a lawsuit so, so you could vote on Saturday. They filed a petition asking for emergency relief. What you ought to ask yourself is, what do they want relief from?
1: Voting. They want relief from voting. They don't want you to vote. Senator Warnock, as you know.
0: Well, I don't know why I came here
2: tonight. That's why. I got the feeling something. Scared in case I fall off my chair and I'm
0: wondering how I get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of
2: me, Jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you.
1: Hey there from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. It's the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, and in Round Mountain on KKRN. Up in Oregon, on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, in Palinville, New York, on WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans. NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Burden Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from Bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Coming up, we are going back to Georgia. Uh, did we ever leave Georgia? Anyway, we're going back to Georgia, where the good news is that voters are smashing early voting turnout records in the state's U.S. Senate runoff election that ends next Tuesday. And the bad news? Well, voters are smashing early voting turnout <laughs> records in the state's U.S. Senate runoff election that ends next Tuesday.
2: That is ironical.
1: Ain't it, though? We will explain why. Hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. We will explain why uh, that is both good and bad news for Democrats and democracy with our guest on the ground in Georgia momentarily, who's been uh, closely observing the U.S. Senate runoff in the peach state between Democratic incumbent Raphael Warnock and uh, Trump-backed Republican Herschel Walker in a state where Warnock won the election on November 8th. But by only by a single point, he did not get over the 50 percent threshold to avoid this runoff on Tuesday and underway now. So lots to discuss there momentarily and what could be another nail biter. And yes, one that is complicated by, among other things, 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems forced on all voters at all polling places across the entire state of Georgia. But don't get me started yet. We have time. This show is the show is young, Uh, (laughs) much more on all of that shortly. Some quick news, however, and what will have to sort of largely be headlines here, given how much there is to get through today before I can get to my guest. House Democrats ushered in a new generation of leaders on Wednesday with Congressman Hakeem Jeffries of New York elected to be the first black American to head a major political party in Congress as long-serving speaker Nancy Pelosi and her leadership team all step aside next year as Democrats head back into the minority in the House showing rare party unity our uh, our friend Marcy Wheeler characterized it as quote Democrats in array <laughs> A joke. Some of you may understand. Uh, rare party unity after their uh, midterm election losses in the House on November eight. Democrats moved seamlessly from one history making leader, Nancy Pelosi, to another, Hakeem Jeffries, choosing the fifty two year old New Yorker who vowed to quote get things done in the new Congress, even after Republicans narrowly narrowly won control of the chamber. The closed-door vote for the new leadership team was said to have been unanimous among the caucus, that by contrast with what is going on on the Republican side of the aisle right now. As AP observes, it's rare that a party that lost the midterm elections would so easily regroup, and it stands in stark contrast with the upheaval among Republicans who actually won. They want a majority, but you'll be shocked to learn they are struggling to unite around a new leader. California's Kevin McCarthy uh, is uh, who they think will be their new House speaker as they prepare to take control when the new Congress convenes in January. You'd be wise, however, to expect a whole lot of sturm and drawing around that uh, McCarthy's election for House Speaker. When the House reconvenes in January, McCarthy will have to win a majority 218 votes to be the new speaker from among the House or face a floor fight about all of this, given that his election among his own caucus to be its new leader saw more than 30 votes against him by his fellow Republicans. So what happens if McCarthy can't get 218 votes? Uh, Nobody actually knows, though McCarthy has been warning his fellow Republicans that Democrats would have a hand in deciding who the next House Speaker will be if they do not get in line behind him. There was uh, no such disarray, however, on the Democratic side on Wednesday. Jeffries and the other top leaders came without any challengers, which is very unusual for Democrats. Cheers broke out in the private meeting where typically contested party elections unfold. But this time they unfolded without incident. The trio of new leaders led by Jeffries includes 59-year-old Congresswoman Catherine Clark of Massachusetts as the Democratic whip, 43-year-old Congressman Pete Aguilar of California as the caucus chair, and by the way, L.A. Congressman Ted Lieu was elected vice chair of the Democratic caucus, the number four position in the uh, House Democratic leadership, making him the first Asian American elected to that post. Oh, good. Uh, The new team of uh, Democratic leaders is expected to slide into the slots held by Pelosi and her top lieutenants, Majority Leader Steny Hoyer of Maryland, Democratic Whip James Clyburn of South Carolina, as the 80-something, 80-year-old something leaders make way for this next generation of uh, youngsters at, you know, the ages like 59 and 52. Civil rights leader uh, Reverend Al Sharpton called Jeffries' elevation to a, a, quote, long overdue moment in America, noting that, quote, another barrier to equal representation has come down. Pelosi and Hoyer plan to remain in office, however. That's an unusual but not entirely unprecedented arrangement. Jeffries called it a blessing to have the uh, their counsel as he takes over the leadership. While Democrats will be relegated to the House minority in the new year for the 118th Congress, they will have a certain amount of leverage because the Republican majority is expected to be so slim and splintered and McCarthy's hold on his own party so fragile. The Democrats unanimity and Pelosi's leadership, was on display legislatively on Wednesday as well. The U.S. House moved urgently to head off a looming nationwide rail strike on Wednesday. They passed a bill that would bind companies and workers to a proposed settlement that was reached back in uh, September, but rejected by several of the 12 unions who were involved in this. The measure in the House, passed by a vote of 290 to 137. It now heads to the Senate. If approved there, it will be signed by President Joe Biden, who urged the Senate to act swiftly on this after warning on Tuesday that, quote, without the certainty of a final vote to avoid a shutdown this week, railroads will begin to halt the movement of critical materials like chemicals to clean our drinking water as soon as this weekend. Without action, he said this week, disruptions to our auto supply chains, our ability to move food to tables and our ability to remove hazardous waste from gasoline refineries will begin. The business groups uh, such as the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the American Farm Bureau Federation warned that halting rail service would cause a devastating two billion dollars per day hit to the economy. The bill would impose a compromise uh labor agreement brokered by the Biden administration that increased pay for workers by as much as 24%, but it did not include paid sick leave and that is really the uh the, the crux of the matter. Uh, correct. Uh, that brokered agreement was ultimately Voted down by just four of the twelve unions representing the, the 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 workers here, but that is roughly 115,000 employees, more than half of uh, of of the employees at these large freight railroads, and workers have threatened to strike if an agreement cannot be reached before a December nine deadline. So that is coming up very soon. Now, due to federal law, Congress can actually overrule the ability for rail unions to be able to strike, which is the legislative effort now underway. And the intervention was particularly difficult for Democratic lawmakers. They've traditionally aligned, of course, with labor unions. But House Speaker Nancy Pelosi responded to these concerns about the lack of paid sick leave in the uh, current Uh, currently negotiated agreement by adding a second vote on Wednesday, which would add seven days of paid sick leave per year for rail workers covered under the agreement. However, it will take effect only if the Senate goes along and passes both of these measures, The House passed the sick leave measure as well, but by a much narrower margin, 221 to 207. All Democrats were in favor of it. Just three Republicans uh, voted in favor of it. All of the rest of the Republicans were against paid sick leave for rail workers. A
2: standard job requirement to have paid sick leave. I mean... Most most full-time salaried Employees get this It is insane that these wildly Profitable railroad companies can afford To pay for sick leave and Republicans Know it's important but they just don't Want to give it and they're willing to tank the Economy to make sure that nobody gets it
1: And what all of this means of course Is that passage in The Senate is going to be Really really tough the filibuster Rule requires even though uh, Democrats have a majority There it's a 50-50 majority at the moment, but it's a majority because uh, Kamala Harris is the uh, president of the Senate and she can break the tie. But the filibuster rule means that 60 votes are needed to pass pretty much anything. So you now need 10 Republicans who would be willing to vote in favor of allowing workers to take seven days of paid sick leave per year. And that may be very tough. And I know there's been, you know, people have been critical of joe biden and the democrats for trying to push this through without the paid sick leave well uh that's why they added this second vote that makes sense i think uh but uh, to do it uh, however it because it's a separate bill it's going to be easier for the republicans to turn it down the alternate of course is they go on strike and the economy literally begins tanking day by day because that's how critical the rail unions are at this point. Business groups in the Association of American Railroads uh, Trade Association praised the House vote to block the strike, but they urged senators, of course, to resist adding the sick pay to the deal. The unions maintain that railroads can easily afford to pay the sick time at a time when they are recording record profits. Several of the big railroads involved in these contract talks reported more than $1 billion profit in the third quarter alone. Profit. Not just revenue, but profit. Jim McGovern, Democrat from uh, Congressman from Massachusetts, said, quite frankly, the fact that paid sick leave is not part of the final agreement between railroads and labor is, in my opinion, obscene. It should be there, and I hope it will be by the end of the process. The. Compromise agreement that was supported by the railroads and a majority of unions provides for 24 percent raises and five thousand in bonuses retroactive to 2020, along with one additional paid leave day. So it is a pretty good deal, except for the sick leave. The raises would be the biggest that rail workers have received in more than four decades But the agreement did not resolve the concerns about unreliable schedules for workers, which make it hard to take a day off at all, and the lack of more paid sick time. We'll keep our eyes on that story, obviously, as it will have a huge effect on, well, all sorts of things, including the economy, should a strike occur. And finally, for now, before we get to my guest... Late on Tuesday, South Carolina's Supreme Court unanimously ordered former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows in a terse three paragraph ruling to testify to an Atlanta area special grand jury investigating Donald Trump's effort to strong arm election officials in Georgia after the 2020 election to change the results in his favor. The brief order from the Supreme Court justices, just three paragraphs, cites the, quote, exigent circumstances involved. And it ends this way, quote, we have reviewed the arguments raised by Meadows and find them to be manifestly without merit. From the South Carolina Supreme Court justices, all of them. That decision affirmed a lower court ruling that required Meadows to testify to the Fulton County Grand jury investigation being led by District Attorney Fani Willis in Georgia. Willis sought Meadows testimony in September as part of her expansive probe into efforts by Donald Trump and his allies to disrupt the election process in Georgia, including his push for Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to, quote, find just enough votes to overturn Joe Biden's victory in the state and to create a fake set of electors in order to give the false appearance of disputed results in the state. Courts in New York and Florida and elsewhere have all similarly upheld efforts by Fonnie Willis to obtain testimony from non-Georgia residents, including disgraced Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani, disgraced former National Security Advisor Mike Flynn, disgraceful U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham, Willis's grand jury, believed to be pursuing a broad conspiracy, which could result in conspirators facing as much as twenty years in jail, has sought testimony from a whole bunch of high ranking figures in Trump's orbit, particularly those most closely associated with his bid to steal the twenty twenty elections. Matt Meadows is the the most critical figure in her investigation to be ordered to appear to date, at least according to Politico, in addition to his prominent role in Trump's administration as chief of staff during the weeks leading up to the January 6th insurrection, Meadows actually traveled to Georgia while serving as chief of staff to the president. He traveled to Georgia right in the middle of the state's post-election audit and He joined Trump on that phone call on January 2 of 2021, that call with Raffensperger trying to strong arm him into stealing the election for Trump. Meadows had argued to a South Carolina county court that his appearance before the grand jury in Atlanta was barred due to executive privilege. But the state courts rejected that argument thoroughly saying, again, we have reviewed the arguments raised by Mark Meadows and find them to be manifestly without merit. That does not bode particularly well, I think, for the former president. So we will keep our eyes on that. He had been uh, uh, subpoenaed to appear November 30. Obviously, he's not going to make that date, but uh, hopefully he'll be in front of that grand jury soon, and he may be arguing uh, taking the 5th. Which is amazing. We shall see. Now, uh, speaking of Georgia, uh, that state, of course, always seems to be on our mind for some reason of late. And it certainly is today with Tuesday's upcoming U.S. Senate runoff election between Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock and Republican Herschel Walker now very much underway. Amid record early vote turnout, which is not necessarily as wonderful as it sounds. We will explain why and much more with a great election integrity advocate and champion and observer on the ground of this early voting in the Peach State. That's coming up next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman.
2: Just an old sweet song Keeps Georgia on my mind Georgia on my mind.
1: Well, I'm not sure if it's an old sweet song that keeps it on my mind, but in any event. Georgia is on my mind yet again. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. If you have listened to the Bradcast for more than, oh, I don't know, a minute or two over the years, you probably noticed what has become a bit of an accidental obsession here. That's the voting and election systems in the great state of Georgia. I suspect many ha- may have wondered why years ago we started covering the state so specifically and so frequently and so closely. But I am now hoping that after what has happened there since 2020, when Donald Trump attempted to coerce state election officials to quote, find enough votes to steal the peach state's presidential election on his behalf after he'd lost it narrowly. There to Joe Biden, which, as it turns out, is a state felony and a conspiracy crime for which he and many of his other top lieutenants are right now being criminally investigated by the Fulton County District Attorney, Fonnie Willis. And then just after the 2020 election in the not one but two U.S. Senate runoff elections in Georgia in January of 2021, well, that resulted in two Democrats winning seats from Republicans for the first time in years and, yes, giving Democrats a majority in the upper chamber of Congress. And now again in 2022, when a U.S. Senate runoff election, which ends next Tuesday, will determine if Democrats have a 50-50 majority in the Senate in which they must share power on committees with Republicans, or if they win a clear majority, allowing them to do a whole lot more in a much more efficient matter. Well, if you are familiar with at least some of that, then you are familiar with at least some of the reasons we've long had our eyes on Georgia, a state considered to be Deeply red for many years until, as we have seen, it's become, well, at least purple, at least in its statewide federal elections. Not all of its statewide elections, of course. Republican Brian Kemp, a first rate vote suppressor as both the state's former secretary of state. Now it's twice elected governor and his Republican successor in that secretary of state's office, Brad Rappensperger. Continue to be elected by the voters of Georgia, even as state voters continue to elect Democrats to statewide federal offices or at least try to incumbent Democratic senator. Reverend Raphael Warnock, who won a special election to the U.S. Senate back in one of those 2021 runoffs, is now running for a full six-year term against Donald Trump-backed former football player and remarkably accomplished Republican liar and fantasist Herschel Walker. Warnock defeated Walker in the November 8 election just a few weeks ago by just about one point, but he failed to reach the 50 percent percent. Plus one threshold that is required to avoid a runoff in the state, one of just two states, by the way, in the nation, along with Louisiana, which hold runoff elections for U.S. Senate. That runoff election is, as you know, now underway with so far record turnout during early voting for reasons either good or bad or both, which we will discuss momentarily with my guest. But that runoff election ends next Tuesday, December 6. Now, adding to all of that political drama in Georgia, of course, is the fact that Secretary of State Raffensberger, after losing a long-running case in federal court back in 2018, was forced to replace the state's 100% unverifiable 20-year-old Diebold touchscreen voting systems because they were found to be insecure and thus unconstitutional by a federal judge. Well, after that, he replaced those terrible systems with newer, similarly unverifiable and insecure touchscreen voting systems made by Dominion Voting Systems, which, well, complicates all of this. All voters who vote at the polling place in the state are still forced to vote on those same terrible touchscreen systems rather than verifiable hand-marked paper ballots. The only way to vote on a verifiable hand-marked paper ballot in the state is by absentee ballot, which is harder to, well, harder to receive and cast now, harder than ever, for reasons that we'll also discuss momentarily. The Coalition for Good Governance, the nonpartisan watchdog group headed up by Marilyn Marks, a frequent guest over the years on this program, after successfully suing to get rid of the state's debold touchscreen systems, is also now suing to get rid of the new uh, Dominion touchscreen systems, arguing that they are similarly flawed and should be replaced with, yes, verifiable hand-marked paper ballots at the polling place. And as if all of that is not enough. Just a friendly reminder that Following the 2020 election, which was not stolen from Trump, Secretary Raffensperger and Governor Kemp in Georgia nonetheless joined with the state's Republican majority state legislature there to adopt a massive election reform bill called SB 202, which includes tons of voter suppression measures and even provisions to prevent the media from being able to do our job by transparently covering state elections. That's just one of the reasons that I am a named plaintiff representing media in the Coalition for Good Governance's separate lawsuit challenging several provisions of that new law, SB 202. And, of course, all of this comes at as if that's not enough. All of this comes at the same time that it was recently discovered once again by Marilyn Marks of the coalition The local Republican election officials in Georgia's rural Coffee County allowed members of Donald Trump's 2020 election denier team to come into their offices months after the election to unlawfully breach the county's computerized election management system and to make copies of its highly sensitive and proprietary software software that is used across the entire state and in counties in about a dozen other states, all of which has made voting systems and cybersecurity experts very, very nervous given the vulnerabilities of those computerized voting and tabulation systems. So, yeah, there is a good reason or two to cover elections in the great state of Georgia, I think. And now with the critical U.S. Senate runoff, Right now, currently underway and just days from ending, there are a few in the state who oversee its elections more closely on the ground than our old friend Jean Dufort, who has served as a poll observer in her Republican-leaning Morgan County and on post-election audit committees there as well, representing at various times both the county's Democratic Party and The Libertarian Party, there as well. Gene is also a longtime member of the Coalition for Good Governance and a co -co plaintiff along with myself in their ongoing lawsuit against the SB 202 voter restriction bill. Gene Dufort joins us again today on the Bradcast. And woo! Okay, Gene, welcome back to the program.
0: Thanks, Brad, and and you know I live this, and yet I'm exhausted listening. To I it, know,
1: so. I know, and I'm so sorry to have to put you through all of that. Uh, I just hope <laughs> we can find something to talk about here, Gene, with all of those uh, concerns. Before we get to the ongoing runoff election, let me start with the uh, with the November 8 elections in Georgia. In one sense, uh, you know, it sort of seems forever ago. And yet many states have not yet even certified those elections. And Georgia, with SB 202 and the uh, newly compressed scheduled for runoffs in that bill, well, you guys are still very much in the middle of those midterms. So let's start with November 8. How did the election go there? Were voters able to vote? Did they face the long lines that we have seen for so many years in some places in Georgia and are unfortunately seeing again now during the runoff elections?
0: So lines um, are the story of this week, but they were not really a big story in the general. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is because Georgia, over the last couple of election cycles, and particularly post-COVID, um, Georgians found out voting early is just easier than voting on Election Day, yeah. uh, both voting by mail and voting in person. And in a run-up to a general, we have three full weeks, mm-hmm. uh, 17 days, Um in, in most places of mandatory um, early voting in person mm-hmm. options so and, and plenty of time to to get your mail ballot returned so Georgians mostly did that in fact we had a slightly lower turnout than we had expected for the general mainly because election day was fairly quiet mm. uh, after a huge vote in, in, in
1: early <laughs> that's good news uh, were there any problems and and we'll we'll talk about how that has changed for the runoff but we're sticking with November eight were there any problems of note with uh, Raffensburgers terrible touchscreen voting systems used across the entire state <laughs> they're breached by coffee <laughs> county uh, by the uh, team trump maga you, you laugh uh, where uh, why are you laughing gene so
0: the the problem with being Certain about a problem of a breach of an electronic voting system uh-huh. is that there isn't much direct evidence.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Um, so, as, as Marilyn often says, how would we know if there was a problem? Right, right. That that's the fundamental problem of being all in on electronics mm-hmm. is you literally can't have an accountable ballot mm-hmm. you, you, you just can't get there you can try mm-hmm. um and and by the way at some point we should talk about the new initiative that coalition for good governance is doing with scrutineers because we we're, mm. we're just about to announce it and we're going to do a really important new project on tuesday night okay oh, um so we can talk about that but it, it, it just really the nature of hacking is that it buries most of its evidence um and th- so that's
1: tough. Uh, yeah, and it is. And it's something that I've tried to point out for uh, years, as we have seen, you know, throughout the years, whether it was the old Diebold touchscreens, whether it's the Dominion, ES&S, Hart InterCivic, all of them, you know, on Election Day will off- often hear about, oh, no, votes are flipping from Uh, Red to blue or blue to red, whoever it is, your you know whatever team you happen to be on. Mm -hmm. And I always have to point out that well, you know what? That's probably not a hack. That's probably just a failure of the system. Because if you want to hack a touchscreen system, there is no reason to show that hack to the voters on screen. Correct?
0: That's right. That's right. And, And I don't know if you remember. A few years back, we had this really dramatic anomaly in a drop-off of votes for the lieutenant governor race. Mm-hmm. And we had it statistically analyzed, and you could see it. And and it absolutely had a bizarre correlation where the the missing votes, so-called 126,000 missing votes, were directly mm-hmm. correlated with, of all things, the, the percentage of African-American voters in a mm-hmm. precinct. In oh. other words, the higher that went, the more missing votes there were, unexpected votes, where people voted for governor, they voted for attorney general and down ballot, but they didn't vote, supposedly, for lieutenant governor. So mm-hmm. so we had a clear pattern, but no direct evidence.
1: Mm-hmm. And and, right? and, and, yeah. and
0: so the court just said, you know what, this is a great theory, I can see it, but, but there isn't any direct evidence.
1: Mm-hmm. You can, you can see so. the results of it, but you don't yeah. know how you got there. At least, you know, if, right. the, if the screens are flipping in front of your face, people could take videos of that. We can, right. you know, that would be but a that, really that, bad that, hacker. That,
0: yeah, that would be a terrible, you know, uh, that, mm-hmm. uh, that would be a terrible hacker that would do that. The, the heartbreak hacks and the diffused hacks, you know, because so Georgia's went for, for, for Joe Biden in the last presidential election by 11,780 votes, mm-hmm. which we would not all remember except for that famous phone call, <laughs> right? right? Um, but we have more than 30,000 ballot-marking devices out there capturing votes on, on Election Day and in an early voting, mm-hmm. right? So imagine the, the tininess of a hack that it would take with 30,000 machines out there. Yeah. And and millions of votes being cast to get to margins that are mm-hmm. that are less than thirty thousand. Yep. Right. Even at thirty thousand, it's literally one goof per machine.
2: Right. Right. So
0: so it's just I I always say that to say it's it's such a micro thing that has a big impact. And
1: and yeah, you know we've talked to Maryland about this uh, since we're still going back to twenty twenty since that uh, apparent crime is still being investigated in Atlanta by the uh, Fulton County Prosecutor. Right. Knowing what you know, looking at these systems since going back to 2020, uh, do you have any reason to believe? Well, we know it's you know would be easy to hide a hack. Is there evidence to show that the election results were incorrect in 2020?
0: No, of course there's no evidence. Right? There, there cannot be evidence of that in, <laughs> okay. in, my, in my in my simple opinion. Uh-huh. The reason we advocate for hand marked paper ballots is because once you start an election that is predominantly on ballots that are constructed by a computer mm-hmm. and that's your only remaining evidence left to audit afterwards is mm-hmm. that ballot that got constructed they call it interpreted in georgia law you cat you you mark your choices on the tablet and then the tablet sends an interpretation of what you did on the screen to the printer Right right that, yep. that, I love that word interpretation because yes, right? exactly. i don 't need anybody interpreting my vote. Correct. I want to put a pen on a piece of paper yes. with no computer interpreting anything, and yes. then that piece of paper stays as the eventually auditable recountable recheckable mm-hmm. it 's just really uncomplicated. It is literally what the voter meant, and and we don 't have that in most of our pool in, mm-hmm. uh, of of votes in Georgia, so
1: it is uh, shameful. It is frustrating, uh, not just, I suspect, for voters in Georgia, but for all of us around the country who, you know, wish to oversee elections and make sure that they are correctly recorded everywhere and that voters' votes are, vote, are, are recorded, interpreted as they, uh, as they cast them. Gene, uh, several of the provisions of SB202, that uh, new law that was passed after 2020, made it more difficult for media to observe and report on elections. For example, it barred any kind of photography or video at the polling place and prevented observers like you from talking to media folks like me about problems that you may see while observing uh, vote tabulation. Now, unless I'm mistaken, the uh, while well, the coalition's lawsuit against SB202 continues, just one of the provisions in that law, one that, I happen to be a named plaintiff on was was actually put on hold regarding photography in the polling place. Uh, am I right about that, that that was the only provision in the law that was at least for now put on hold before the 2022 that, elections?
0: That's right, because the standard for putting temporary injunctions in place is a pretty high standard. Mm-hmm. So you you kind of have to tell the judge that this is of such an immediate concern that it would be really harmful. This suit hasn't gone through discovery, it hasn't gone through a court case. So so that's all in the future, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But in the in the in the immediate temporary injunction request, um the judge agreed that the photography ban was just so egregious and so out of character. If you close your eyes, you can imagine all the pictures you've seen over the years Mm -hmm. of famous voting incidents. Suffragettes vote for the first time, you Mm -hmm. know, president cast his ballot for whoever, all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And this was banning all of that. It it was craziness. Mm -hmm. Um, It was banning streaming. We all watched as Arizona... Uh, did that famous, you know, recount right? And, mm-hmm. and people would yeah. look at the live stream. It was banning that. Any picture that could have a ballot, a voted ballot in it, was was banned under under this ridiculous law. So the judge was like, "Yes, this is ridiculous. Uh, we're going to put a stay on that part." But the other pieces are still out there. The gag rule, um, some 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 dangers for poll watchers. Um, uh, you could be charged with a felony if you're accused of looking at how somebody votes. Uh, Mm -hmm. But we have these giant jumbotron voting tablets (laughs) that are visible from 25 feet away and through parking lot windows. So, um, you know, there's just some some crazy stuff in there still to be adjudicated.
1: And also uh, part of that, if if you had seen any problems during the tabulation, Gene, would you have been able to tell me about it as a member of the press so I could report it to the world?
0: not not before um uh, voting is finished right so so at any point you couldn't you couldn't tell you if you're sent in as a poll watcher you're sent in on behalf of a candidate mm-hmm. um you're sent in on behalf of a party and certainly you're representing a, a bit of a public interest a public mm-hmm. interest in watching elections so to ban all those things and and tell these watchers you're only allowed to tell the election director uh, that's just kind of anti-democratic.
1: But that's a right. small d democrat. But that's, but that's that, still in place.
0: Yeah, yeah, small d democrat. <laughs> and, and that's still in place and it hasn't been adjudicated in court yet. So that's still out there. So I can... um, And there are some other provisions mm-hmm. by the way of SB 202 which have had a clear and measurable impact on elections. Small changes, big impact on some voters. Uh we took we we it's been a real attack on the ease of mail voting, for example. You mm-hmm. were able to – now Now the Secretary of State will say, oh, these were things we did uh, because of COVID. And just because we made it easy because of COVID, it doesn't have to always stay easy. That's sort of their talking point, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but things like having drop boxes, secure drop boxes, um, they're now inside and they're only open in early voting places during early voting hours. Um, you can apply for a mail ballot by email, mm-hmm. by the internet, or not by email, by the, you know, on the internet, online. Mm-hmm. Except you have to stop, print the form out, wet sign the form, and then figure out how to re-upload that and send that in. So mm-hmm. that's not really an online application anymore. Um, so the 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 effect on um, voters who don't have printers in their home, the effect on people assisting elderly voters. Yeah. There's some new restrictions on who can. Um, who, who uh, it, The circle is smaller of who can help an elder mm-hmm. um, get through this process. So that, that, that's that been a real thing, and they've shortened some of the time frames for that. Um, they also shortened the runoff period. SB 202 took it from nine weeks to four weeks, and we're in the middle of living through the impact of um, I myself today
2: mm-hmm.
0: had to ask them to resend me my mail ballot because the records show they mailed it to me on the 18th of November, and it still hasn't arrived in in my home. And we're a small county. I mean, I literally live eight and a half miles from the post office. Um,
1: And so to get that, at this point, if you're just getting your ballot... I mean, uh, and the election, uh, it's got to be there by election day, or can it come by in after By election, election
0: night. By, nope, by 7 o'clock on election night. So we're going to try. We're going to have them. Normally, mail from Madison would get to me the next day or mm-hmm. the day after. So we're trying again. Foolishly, I, I, I requested it. I was, I was poll watching this morning. Mm-hmm. So um, I talked to the clerk. She took care of it. Uh, and then I watched her walk out the door with my new ballot in hand because the law didn't allow her to hand it to me. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> so, She went to the mailbox and mailed me my ballot, so...
1: Unbelievable. And because uh, I know this has caused problems. Uh, yeah. You know, we tried yeah. to work with some folks who hadn't received their ballot before yep. the November 8 election when yep. there was a lot more time. Yep. Uh, and again, some elderly folks who have various problems, uh, you know, uh, filling out uh, forms, printing That's them right. out, getting them back. In your That's case, Gene, right. had you received that ballot today, if you were out of town, I mean, you can presumably drive it over to the uh, uh, county headquarters and, and mail it. But if you had literally That's been right. out, out of town, would you have even right. been able to get it back in time at this point?
0: No, no probably not, you know, or chances are not. So, um, And I'm not the only one. You know, it's not mm-hmm. all about me, but it's it's interesting it happened to me, so I can give the example. While I was there for yeah. four hours, there were at least three other people who were discussing a similar kind of a problem and how to solve it.
1: And does that so, somewhat defeat um, the purpose of the drop boxes if they're only available inside an to- early voting location?
0: Totally. Totally. By far and away, most people just walked in and handed it to the clerk because the clerk was 10 feet away from the drop box.
1: And so, you know, that's uh, a lot of people, uh, or at least around the country, I don't know how they feel in Georgia about this, but a lot, of, a lot of people around the country, they look at guys like Brian Kemp, the governor, Brad Raffensperger, the secretary of state, and they say, oh, what heroes? Because they didn't fold to the pressure from Donald Trump right. and his his band of conspirators they're really not heroes are they
0: they're not heroes they 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 are, they have they deserve all of our gratitude for not folding mm-hmm. to the request to find 11,780 votes mm-hmm. right i i i can be grat- grateful for that mm-hmm. but um they are absolutely behind uh, most of these provisions yep. that make it difficult to vote, You know, it's ironic. We are famously the home of Chick-fil-A. And Chick-fil-A is famous for its customer service. Mm-hmm. It manages lines and, and, and logistics really well. And many of us just simply say, why can't Georgia just hire Chick-fil-A to design its election <laughs> logistics instead of continuing to put these small but significant bottlenecks in front of voters
1: yeah well be careful about that because chick-fil-a won't serve uh, you on uh, a Sunday either so uh, if you that, want to that's have true any Sunday yeah. voting we we have in fact uh, Gene, seen reports over the past couple of days out of Georgia where uh, you know that there has been an all-time record-breaking turnout for early voting Sunday broke all the the all-time Sunday record for early voting beating even the 2020 presidential election the same thing happened on Monday the state broke the all time one day mm-hmm. record for early voting by and then he a broke lot. it again on Tuesday. Broke it again on Tuesday.
0: So But but it, but, yes, but 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 yes. those are daily records. Uh-huh and we only have seven days five for most counties, seven days for a few and I think eight for one um, instead of seventeen days. Mm-hmm. So you can break all the daily records you want and still not create enough capacity for everybody who wants to vote to vote.
1: And so that was it used to, in the, in the general election there was 17 days of early yep. voting and yep. now we have 7.
0: 5 mandatory
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then they had to they had to have a lawsuit to get the Saturday agreed. Right. Right. Yeah. So Sunday was an optional day. Now one county opened up is early, I don't know how they managed to do it, but they opened up the Tuesday before Thanksgiving and a second one opened up. Mm the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. The problems for the counties, by the way, wasn't Will. It was you had to have the previous election finished, and then you had to design a ballot and get that ballot approved and get those ballots back from printers mm-hmm. to be able to begin your process.
1: And to get it then out to voters, good luck yeah. in this compressed time right. frame, which is so, another reason why there was yeah. so many people lining up to vote in person. Right.
0: So then when they started, and originally the Secretary of State said, yes, everybody will be voting on Saturday after Thanksgiving. And then all of a sudden his lawyers or somebody looked into it and said, oh, no, this rule we have over here about you can't vote after a holiday. And by the way, the unnamed in Georgia now holiday after Thanksgiving, which is actually the um, holiday formerly known as Confederates Day, um, prevents us from voting on on Saturday. So it was a really... Rich irony in him declaring you couldn't vote on Saturday because of the holiday formerly known as Confederates Day. Yeah. Um, But um, thank goodness DPG and others uh, brought a lawsuit. Uh, Judge McBurney um, came through. And Judge McBurney, by the way, is also the judge over the Fonnie Willis uh, grand jury. Case. So there's a nice tie in with that. That's a good um, sign. The Secretary of State appealed, mm-hmm. um, but the <laughs> appellate court turned them down. And then the Secretary of State said, okay, I'm dropping out. But then the Georgia Republican Party and the National Republican Party took it all the way to the Georgia Supreme Court. And you know you have a really bad case when the Georgia Supreme Court, nine to nothing, turns you down mm. on the morning before Thanksgiving.
1: No kidding. Boy. Uh-huh. And they really went out of their way. The Republican Party and that hero, Brad Raffensperger, Secretary of State, yeah. really went out of their way to prevent yeah. people from voting. To
0: prevent people from voting on it because college students are home over holiday weekend, uh-huh. right? And they're yep. gone back yep. on the Monday after. Mm-hmm. All kinds of working people. A physician friend of mine mm-hmm. just can't carve a chunk out. And in her county, she has two and three hour lines all this week, right? A physician can't just blow her schedule open disappoint all those patients, and pop over to vote, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So she needed to vote on weekends. So there's lots of different stories about why people um, really need the option, because you didn't have, for a lot of people, a practical timeline for mail voting. Mm-hmm. So you really were down to a few, just a few options. But <laughs> anyway, the joke is on all of those folks who decided it was better to try to prevent it, because the Democrats came out of the holiday weekend uh-huh. with a dramatic, um, dramatic vote advantage. Going into this week. So an interesting, uh, it's almost like, you know, letting somebody start a hundred yard dash at with 20 yards advantage. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, (laughs) Because that's who opened up the polls. scrambled and got them open. Um, Well, and so so it's going to be interesting.
1: The the joke was on the the vote suppressors because that week that weekend voting was left up to the counties. Then yes, you can hold uh, early voting if you want; it's up to you. And it was all of the blue counties in general who held that early voting over the weekend, and the red counties didn't. So yeah, their voters didn't get out. But all of this, combining all of this, Gene. Uh, you know, it has resulted in these, we're once again, seeing these hours-long lines. Yep. Yep. That is not good. You can't just, like you said, if you're a doctor pop over and vote. you got to pop yep. over and have an hour or two or three to, to, right. to wait. That's right. Why, in addition to all the things that we've talked about, are there uh, issues at the polling place itself? I mean, in most counties, no, there's it's, one it's, race. It's, it's, it's just it's, the center race. It's
0: literally capacity. i, I spent you know, four hours this morning just watching it in in my county. And my county is keeping up a really amazing pace, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's a small county. We have – there's 100 counties smaller than us, but Mm -hmm. we're still pretty small. We have 15,000 registered voters. Um, And they were just moving people in and out, moving people in and out. There was rarely any machine open, but there also was rarely a line more than 10 or 12 people. So almost everybody was getting in and out in 15 minutes. It doesn't take long. But – some county, We were using the new uh, pilot uh, check-in system, which is way faster mm. than the original system. Fulton County, one of the biggest counties, is using the old system. Mm. So all of the bottlenecks are at check-in, and they haven't been able to figure out how to get enough check-in stations to, to, to get 17 days' worth of early voting, plus people who would also prefer to vote by mail but don't think they can, compressing all that into these seven days. Right. Is just, um, you know, it's the, it's the 10-pound and a 5-pound sack.
1: So even if you've got, you know, 20 of these crappy touchscreen voting systems, if you've only got uh, two computer check-in systems, everyone has right. to go through that funnel first.
0: Right. So in my county with the faster check-in, we've yeah. got three check-in stations to five voting uh-huh. machines, mm-hmm. right? That's Which is a crazy ratio normally. Mm-hmm. But the, literally the act of voting is so fast. Um, it would be case. faster, even if they handed them a ballot and they just marked it. And that would be faster than putting the card in the machine and bringing it up and tabbing through the things and going, "Do I check?" and waiting for the printer. Yep. I mean, it, it, it is still just stupid when you when you think about marking a ballot by a pen and then you watch the process on a machine. It's it <clears throat> seems amazing that somebody would spend three thousand dollars to do what a one dollar pen would do, but. But and, here we are.
1: and even more amazing, when you consider, as I said, that in most counties there is one single election on uh, in right. this uh, Tuesday race for all, the U.S. Senate. All
0: places. It's, it's- just one thing.
1: Vote for this guy right. or vote for that guy. And you right. could walk in, check it on a piece of paper, hand it in. Yeah. And frankly, you could hand count that by putting them in stacks of, you know, Warnock here, Walker there. Uh, but uh, we've got to make everything more complicated. And here, as you can tell, that's and, why, and, you know, it's and, so hard to vote. And in there.
0: in fairness, yeah. these election workers Early voting started three weeks before the general. Mm -hmm. This is three weeks after the general, Mm -hmm. right? So they've already been going pedal to metal, many of them, for six straight weeks, and a little bit, for some of them, preparation time before that. And now they've got to push hard for another week plus whatever time it takes to to, to clean up the results and Mm -hmm. and get that announced. So, So these guys are running on empty. In general, and and they're running into limitations of, of staff that will volunteer to continue to do this because election workers are really low paid workers. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there's that part, right? Yep. Um, so it's 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 easy enough to volunteer to be an election worker for one day randomly. Some people even take a day off from their regular job to do it, but you can't take. All these weeks in a row.
1: Off. No, and and if and just in case folks have lost track, before SB 202, the runoff elections would come about two months later in January of 2021. It was actually January 5th the uh those two runoffs for us senate the day before the january 6th insurrection at the us Capitol. gene i've got to get out but very quickly since you mentioned this a uh, uh, project i don't know if you're uh, allowed to tease it or if you can do so I in am. about 30 seconds with scrutineers.org yes. our friend emily levy over there has been run- another great election integrity champion uh what's what's the new project very quickly
0: so we're going to do a a, a quick Count project for accountability. We have not yet held an election in Georgia where some little flash drive that contains the election results hasn't either been missed to be uploaded or been uploaded twice. So Mm -hmm. we're doing an exciting project. Volunteers are going to scrape the results, compare the results, and we believe we're going to find any anomalies literally by the day after the election and in time to be able to get the attention of campaigns, authorities, media's well before we get far into the weeds. So it's it's kind of unprecedented, but we are analyzing 100% of Georgia's 3,500 precincts, all 159 counties, um, and uh, it's just going to be a whole lot of fun. I have no idea what we're going to find when we start comparing it at this detail because it's never been done before.
1: Well, you have a strange idea of fun, Ms. Dufort, but <laughs> I uh, look forward to hearing how that goes from you and or Emily Levy. Folks can get more information, of course, at scrutineers.org. And you can get more info on uh, Jean and her important work at coalitionforgoodgovernance.org. As you can tell, an organization that I uh, greatly admire and support. You can also follow her on the Twitters, I think, as long as they're still up, at dufort underscore Jean. And, of course, she is an election integrity advocate, observer, and champion, as you can tell. Jean, great speaking with you. I look forward to the next time, hopefully soon.
0: Thanks for having me. Let's all see what happens next week.
1: Good luck. And uh, they may need it out there in uh, in Georgia. We will see, you know, it's I, I've seen a, a lot of folks, a lot of Democrats who are very excited about all of the turnout. yeah, not taking into account uh, the fact that you know, as we were speaking with with Gene there, that a lot of this is because it's the time has been compressed. But in fact, there are high numbers coming from folks from young voters who did not vote at all. In on November 8th, that's a good sign. That said, and this is why we always talk about Georgia, these machines. You have no idea what goes on inside these machines, and remember, they breached that software what a year ago in Coffee County.
2: Right, that was that that uh, MAGA Trump group that uh, breached yep. and copied the software in Coffee County, and that's the same software used across the entire state, isn't it?
1: It is exactly. So and, they've had it
2: for months. Somebody has had that for months to play with,
1: to figure out how to use to game the system. This wildly vulnerable software, and we know it's wildly vulnerable. Um, you know, so I, you know, was speaking with the gene earlier and saying, you know, how's it looking? How's it going to go? And she said, you know, we have no idea. Yeah, it might look good for Warnock, but if you can't see inside these machines, which you can't, anything could happen.
2: That's why the fight for election integrity and hand-marked paper ballots is a year-round, nonstop fight.
1: Don't I know it. <laughs> Thank you very much, uh, Desi Doyen, our producer. My thanks again to Gene DeFort of CoalitionForGoodGovernance.org and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, or you want to share any of them with your friends, your family, your enemies, or anyone else, you can download them all for free at Bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you kind enough to hit one of those donate buttons when you stop by Bradblog.com or just go straight to Bradblog.com slash donate, where it is always giving Tuesday, giving Wednesday, giving (laughs) Thursday, or at least it should be. Thank you. You can drop me email. I am Bradcast at Bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. We will see you there until we see you here next time, hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Hey, this is Brad. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to do it. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to make an automated monthly pledge of any amount you like, or even just a one-time-only contribution to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. The fight for voting rights, civil rights, and to save our planet continues. Please help us continue that fight independently over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate right now. Go ahead, do it right now. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor
3: History in Two. (laughs) On this day in labor history, the year was 1854 that was the day that mary mcdowell known as the angel of the chicago stockyards was born mary's father brought the family to chicago from cincinnati after the civil war her family was friends with u.s president rutherford b hayes and as a young woman she spent a month in the white house as a guest mary received her college degree and worked as a teacher for a wealthy family in New York. But living and working among the wealthy was not to be the course of her life. She returned to Chicago and became a kindergarten teacher at the famed Hull House. She then became the head of the University of Chicago Settlement House in the back of the yards. The settlement house served the diverse neighborhoods around the Chicago stockyards. The community center included a library, play lots, gymnasiums, and classrooms. Mary and her settlement house supported the rights of workers to form unions and to have safe working conditions. In 1903, Mary became the head of the Illinois chapter of the National Women's Trade Union League. The Pittsburgh Press reported on an incident that captured the spirit of Mary McDowell. The city of Chicago had a practice of using garbage to fill holes in the streets surrounding the stockyards mary showed up at the mayor's office with a group of women from the neighborhood and demanded quote all right we want the rest of it dumped on Lakeshore drive if it's good enough for the stockyards it's good enough for the drive too as a result the city stopped using garbage to repair the streets Labor History in Two, brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on the
2: Twitters at Labor History in Two.